Hi again, Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. I want to take a second look at a book by Sean and Josh McDowell. It's called The Beauty of Intolerance. Not the beauty of tolerance, but the beauty of intolerance with the subheading, Setting a Generation Free to Know Truth and Love. And uh, that's a, a key thing that Josh has pointed out in some of his other books is that we want to get across truth, but we want to do it in a loving manner. So this is the second look at the, the book here, and I'm going to go to a chapter that is called, let me get the title of it here, The Irony, Intolerance in the Name of Tolerance. And so he starts off, he, he tells a couple of stories about people. He's uh, Josh and uh, Sean are both good at this. Josh has a long history of working with people, so he's got these uh, interesting stories about his daughter in this case. But he starts off talking about the biblical narrative about moral truth. And he says, you know, to many people, stating that the Bible has some moral truth for everyone, it sure sounds narrow and it sounds intolerant. Because people say, well, what about those that don't believe the same way? Or maybe they're living contrary to biblical commands. And the thinking is, if people want to choose a biblical morality, that's fine. They can do it. It's their business. But they ought to keep quiet about it. They shouldn't be allowed to say that those morals are for everybody. That's just for them. Have you heard that before? Yeah, relativism. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And never the twain shall meet. He says this, uh, I say he, I'm thinking Josh in particular, but both Josh and Sean have worked on this. Uh, so this type of thinking fails to recognize uh, where morality came from or what the Bible really says about truth. So they start off by talking about what is the definition of truth. They say Webster defines it as fidelity to an original or a standard, the body of real things, events, or facts, the property of being in accordance with fact or reality. Okay, so there's a dictionary definition. So basically what they said is that truth is a property of being the way that fact or reality says it is. So a claim is true if it matches reality. Well, okay, so that's nice, but how does this relate to knowing what makes moral truth objective and universal? How can we know that certain moral truths apply to everyone, they ask? And they mention a politician 2,000 years ago that asked point blank, what is truth? And of course, what they're going for there is the story in John 18, when Jesus has been arrested, he shows up before Pilate, and he asked Jesus if he's a king, because, of course, if Jesus says he is, Jesus has big problems because Pilate's going to say, oh, we don't have any king except Caesar. Pilate loses his job, maybe his life, if he allows people to run around claiming they're kings. So here's what Jesus said. You say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So there's three times he says truth, truth, and true. It was at this point that Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? I always wondered how Pilate responded. Was that cynical? Yeah, right. What is truth? Or was he really curious? Okay, you're talking truth. How, how would you define truth, Jesus? Well, moral truth, these two authors point out, it's, it's not a what. It's not just an abstract concept. It's in a person who's the standard for morality. So, it's not a what, it's a who. So in other words, moral claims are true if they correspond to the character of God, who is the objective source for morality. If you don't have a God, you don't have an objective, meaning a truth is out there. You don't have a source of morality. So they said it's God's nature and character that determines moral truth. He defines what's right and wrong and good and evil. 
I mean, just think about that. And I've uh, talked about this to groups I've talked to before in the past. Um, if you don't have a God, then you don't have a standard that applies to everybody. So then everybody has their, his or her own truth, right? So the basis of everything that we call moral, the McDowell say the source of every good thing is an eternal God who is outside of us. And he's above us and he's beyond us. Right, so that's something we have to keep in mind. The truth is not something we're changing and something that feels good to us, but it's an outside source. And they say that our young people need to understand that the reason we have this idea of truth, that some things are morally right and others are wrong, is not because the church says so. It's not because some kind of creed says so, or even that it's written in the Bible. The moral authority of the Bible isn't the commands and rules that are in it. The authority of Scripture is derived from, and they said, founded in the very character and nature of God. And we see that represented in the flesh through Jesus Christ. All moral truth resides in and comes from God. That's why it's so vital to get that across to people. There's a standard outside of us. He says the reason that we think there are such concepts as fair or unfair, it's because God is a just God, and we've been made in his image. The reason love is a virtue and hatred is a vice is because God formed us. He's a God of love. The reason honesty is the right thing to do is because God is true and on and on. The things like fidelity and marriage is honorable because God is faithful. So they keep pointing it up that you, you go back to God. There's your standard. He says we need to help our young people realize that God's son, Jesus, is the embodiment of moral truth and that true freedom comes from embracing and living that truth that God gives us. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. So let me stop and editorialize here for just a second. It doesn't do us any good to talk all of these moral things, to talk all these social things, to talk all about all of these cultural things that we're supposed to do. We have to understand that we get true freedom if we follow these things. In other words, what we say, what we ask of people is not because we want it to be that way or because we're trying to dominate them because we feel that people are created in the image of God and we work best when we work according to the precepts of God. So it says, um, McDowell say that, however, we're given a freedom to make a choice. Now we can accept Jesus as a moral truth and we can follow his ways or we can choose our own way. We're given the freedom to be wrong and unfortunately we'll end up suffering through that choice. So they said, understanding Jesus Christ as the universal embodiment of moral truth means several things. One, if Jesus is truth, then truth can't be subjectively created. It's from Jesus Christ himself. Secondly, truth can't be relative and change from person to person or from community to community because Jesus is the incarnation of God who does not change. That's in James and another thing that comes out of the idea that if we understand Jesus is the embodiment of moral truth, all truth claims can't be equal. Jesus didn't claim to be a truth, one among a bunch of others. He said he was the truth. So, the belief that right and wrong are universal and unchanging and that moral truth comes out of a personal God, we're going to make mistakes if we see all these rules as isolated or separated from God. They're not separate from God. They are God. So I thought that was uh, crucial that we understand that. The two authors then say, uh, now we don't live in a culture that sees morality coming from God. Yeah, no kidding. 
uh, it's a culture that's walked away from God. But they said, you know, this view of morality formed the basis of much Western civilization's ideas. And they turned to the Declaration of Independence in the United States. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So the idea of a biblical narrative of moral truth presenting God's commands and rules as stepping stones are leading us to know what he's like, but the value of moral truth doesn't even stop there. It's a guide to know how to treat one another. And they, again, point out, if they're talking about the founding fathers here of America, they established a new democracy, but what did they believe? Well, they thought that God was truth, and they look at what God is like and what people are like, and they had a premise that humanity was fallen, so you need a rule of law to curb the tendencies for people to go off and do their own thing because we're all ego-driven and we're all broken creatures, and we're going to go do things that actually hurt ourselves and hurt others. So the founders of America set up some limits there. there there's got to be a way to curb our natural tendencies. They quote from a book called The Truth About Tolerance, two authors, Brad Stetson and Joseph Conti. And here's what they had to say. The conduct of the American Revolution and the ideology of the American founders show a marked awareness of human fallibility, human fallenness. Yeah, exactly right. Here's what else these two authors said. Uh, this is uh, Stetson and Conti. The American revolutionaries in general held a biblical view of man, right? That they're suspicious of the human race, that we're fallen, that, that we uh, have uh, built-in brokenness. And we have a bent towards sin, they said. And they compare that to the French revolutionaries. Just a few years after the American Revolution, it said the French revolutionaries in general attempted to substitute for the biblical understanding. They came up with an optimistic doctrine of human goodness because that came about by the philosophers of the Enlightenment. And so you've got two different revolutions there. The American one, suspicious based on the character of God, knowing that we fall so far short of that and that we tend towards sin. So they wanted to curb human uh, desires. And you got the French Revolution. They said, no, no, people are basically good. Let them free. Let them be free. Let them loose. And we know what happened. We know the ending of the French Revolution, bloodshed and horror. Well, the founding fathers, they said, also just didn't believe these moral truths were just for them or for their time. They knew that these truths applied to all generations and that the government was uh, supposed to be there to protect them. And they said, but something happened. And this ethical theism, as they call it, this idea that there's a God and the goodness comes from God, that got tossed. And they give you a quick history in this chapter here about what happened to moral truth. They said for a long time in our Western world, uh, the starting point for the ethics system was the character of God, as you found in Scripture. But, said that all began to change about 700 years ago when modernism came about. Said it took a long time, but it gradually eclipsed ethical theism uh, during the Renaissance. They said in the Middle Ages, it was before the Renaissance, the idea of your art and your literature and your philosophy was to glorify and serve God. But the Renaissance artists and the thinkers began to exalt man. And that was the standard of all accomplishment. And I said, gradually you got to shift to something called humanism, the stressed human dignity and regarded man as the center of all things, the captain of his own soul, 
thank you very much. I'm in charge. I'll take care of things from here. And so then you get the you got the Enlightenment. Uh, the Age of Reason comes about in the 1600s. And it says the Renaissance acknowledged God, but the leaders of the Enlightenment, like Voltaire and Hume, claim that if there's a God who created the world, then he has no contact with it now. Uh, that's often called deism, by the way. And that men and women are kind of left to discover truth on their own. So it's going to be your view of truth and my view of truth, and we're on our way. Relativism, right? In the Renaissance, man, not God, became central. In the Enlightenment, man's reason was transcendent. Right? That's That was the important thing. And then he said there are two more historical influences that shaped how we got here today and the way we think and the way we've rejected God as the source of all morality. The first of these, they said, was the Industrial Revolution. It created a great uh, wave of human confidence, right? The pro progress they saw encouraged them to look at to themselves. They didn't think they needed to look upward to God, just look inward to himself. Well, the second thing that uh, influenced and shaped how a lot of modern people thought about morality and all was Charles Darwin. Yeah, you can guess what happened there. With Darwin, his idea was you didn't need a beginning to the universe with a God. God didn't, you didn't need God to explain how things came about. That's Darwinism, right? There was an alternative there. And this shift in thinking convinced men and women that they were the arbiters of truth and morality, not God. So God's been replaced. Nietzsche, they said, took that line of thinking to its logical conclusion and just prior to the 20th century proclaimed the death of God. Now, he, he wasn't happy about it from what I've read, but he said realistically, looking at it, we've killed God. And what's going to be left, he said, the next century will be the most bloody century in human history, and Nietzsche got it right. In fact, I was just reading an article by Tim Keller that says Nietzsche was right. A good article, I bet you can find it. So we got the modernists, right? They see the world through the eyes of science. Uh, to a modernist, any truth that couldn't be observed or experienced, it was subjective. It's just dependent on how you feel about things. And modernism has actually now evolved, they say, into something called postmodernism. Now, they leave it at that, but I've heard that postmodernism is starting to go the way of the dodo bird. It's uh, People are thinking that didn't solve anything. You know, postmodernism says that there's no such thing as objective reality or truth or value or reasons. They're just social constructions by groups of people. So here's the catch. <laughs> they mentioned William Lane Craig saying, you can't live this life. People are not relativistic when it um, comes to science and engineering and technology. They're rel relativistic in religion and ethics. But that you can't live that. You can't live as if there's no truth because you'll claim certain things of the way they are, right? You're going to make those kinds of claims. They said, actually, probably the best way to talk about our culture is it's hyper-modern. Modern thought hasn't disappeared. There's more confidence than ever before in human reason and in science. And they mentioned the movie Interstellar as an example. I hadn't thought about this. It's an interesting movie. They said the twist, and here comes a spoiler, is that the role of the Savior unexpectedly ends up being not an alien or a supernatural being, but by human beings and science. So there's this enduring belief that science will deliver truth. Of course, you can't prove that by science, can you? So that's interesting. They're taking a philosophic idea and claiming that science proves everything, but the philosophy behind that idea can't be proved. So it means you can't trust that idea. Um, so what's going on? Well, 
People today believe scientific claims have to conform to the standard of reality, and they don't understand that there's a standard of moral reality that they have to conform to as well. And they end the chapter by saying that believing in God, even the God in the Bible, is not a problem for most young people today. It's that they feel free to define him and his truth on their own terms. So they're going to shape truth to fit their own personal desires. Always a scary prospect. I can't tell you how many movies I've seen that basically have the idea, trust your heart. And of course, the Bible says, don't trust your heart. It's uh, evil beyond all belief. And uh, I'm, I'm living proof of that. I, I wouldn't trust myself. So anyway, an interesting book called The Beauty of Intolerance, Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell. And we're going to be dealing with intolerance in this society. And we're going to be called intolerant as Christians. We better get to know what we mean by tolerance and intolerance, especially the new definition. You know, it used to be you were tolerant of, of people, but you weren't tolerant of their ideas. You thought some of the ideas were wrong, and you'd try to argue for the, the incorrectness versus the correctness of another position. Today, tolerance means accepting all ideas as equally valid. Of course, that makes no sense, but that's where we are today. All right, well, anything by the two McDowells are worth reading. And uh, so I hope you take a look at this and really consider how you're going to respond when you're called intolerant, and you will be as a Christian. That's called The Beauty of Intolerance. All right, well, thanks, and we'll do another podcast soon.